look at the scriptures this morning. Jesus, we thank you for always being present with us whenever we're gathered together. We thank you for the little people that you've blessed us with, God, that we get to honor and dedicate and celebrate. We pray, God, that as we listen to your word this morning and as we think about how it applies to what we're doing with our lives, that you'd give us ears to hear what you might want to say to each of us and to us as a community, that you'd give us eyes to see the things that you see, that we wouldn't only see the world the way that we see it, but also have a sense of your perspective. Help us to be open in our hearts to the ways in which you want to encourage us and also challenge us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome, everybody. We're so glad to have you here. Uh, we're in the middle of a series, we're at the end of a series that's called What God Wants for You, and it's been a conversation about generosity. Uh, last week, Stephanie preached about gratitude and the need for us to express thanks uh, for our own health and also for the good of other people to join the things that God is doing. Today we're going to talk specifically about giving and we're going to focus on money uh, in addition to a couple of other resources that you have. And so if you're new or you're, uh, you're visiting us, you get to hear a sermon on money in a church. So jackpot, you won today. Congratulations. As I was thinking about this topic, I was reminded again, as I have been many times, that money is a highly emotional topic. It's highly emotional. People don't like to talk about money. How many of you went straight to a Thanksgiving celebration with friends or family, and the first thing you did was say, Let's all talk about our money. Nobody did that, right? Talking about money is uncomfortable because of all these different feelings that we have about it. Some of us are worried about money. We're not sure if we're going to have enough or if uh, some circumstances that we're going through are going to cause us to have problems with money. Some of us are afraid of money, like we're just nervous about it, and so we just avoid it altogether. We avoid it in our own conversation with ourselves and with anybody else. We just don't want to talk about it. Some of us uh, are afraid that we're going to be judged by other people with what we do with our money, and we don't want to deal with that. We don't want to deal with the judgment of what other people think we should or shouldn't be doing with our money, so we avoid the topic altogether. Some of us are embarrassed about our money. We're embarrassed about how much money we have. We're embarrassed about how little money we have. We're embarrassed by how much we've saved or not saved or what we should have done or good decisions we made or bad decisions we made, and so we avoid the topic altogether. And some of us feel pressured to do something with our money. Almost every day, somebody wants you to buy something or donate in some way or behave differently than you're behaving now, and we're just sick of it. And so we don't want to talk about it. And the list kind of goes on and on and on about these emotions that we have with respect to money in particular. So money's emotional, but money's also sneaky. It's sneaky in the sense that it hides itself in our everyday lives. It's hard to go through a day. Have you ever tried to go through a day without spending any money at all? It's a good experiment. If you haven't tried it, go for it. It's sneaky and it hides itself in that it's something we have to do every day. We have to buy things to get through the day, but we don't always think about the things that we're buying or the way in which money is affecting us. And greed, one of the sins that God warns us about in Scripture, is also very sneaky. It's the sneakiest of the sins, I think. You very rarely hear people come and say, I just have to confess something that I did wrong. Last week, I was horribly greedy. That's not something people say, because greedy is sneakier than some of the more obvious sins that we deal with in our lives. It lures us into trusting money 
more than we trust God. It lures us into valuing things more than we value relationships and people in our lives. It lures us into focusing more on getting money than joining the work that God has for us to do in our lives. And so it's really important to be open to talking about money because it steals the sneakiness factor away from greed and helps us to learn from other people about how to lessen the power that money can take over our lives and help us to have a healthy relationship with money. I like talking about money because it helps me personally. It's a really good barometer for me on what the condition of my heart is in my relationship with God and other people. When I'm spending my money mostly on myself or trying to save lots of money for some future catastrophe that I have in mind, I realize that my heart's not in a good spot. I'm not trusting God as much as I want to be. And when I see that my heart is open and I'm willing to give money away and look for opportunities to be generous, I know my heart's in a healthier place. Giving, I think, is what God wants for us because it frees us from some of the worry and anxiety and oppression that money can bring into our lives. Giving is what God wants for us also because it reflects the love that God has for us in our lives to the rest of the world. And so as we look at the scripture this morning, I just want you to think about how can you be slightly more open about money and the issue of money in your life than you are as you sit there today? How can you be slightly more open to what God wants you to think about it and act on it? How can you be slightly more open to talking about it with other people? I'm not suggesting you start bringing your W-2 around and handing it out to people and starting conversations. I just want us as a community to be transparent about how money is influencing us and how we're using our money together. So here's the background on our text for today. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 8 if you want to open your Bible to there, otherwise it'll be on the screen for you. A couple of weeks ago, I preached out of a text, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So this is one chapter earlier than that, but the gift that's being referred to in the text is the same as we talked about a couple weeks ago. But in case you weren't with us, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's collecting money, he's fundraising for people who are experiencing poverty in Jerusalem. And he's collecting the money from some of the newer churches, the people who are from non-Jewish backgrounds, who Paul helped start those churches by visiting them over the last several years. And so this, this gift giving, this fundraising, is really important for a couple reasons. One reason is that it is connecting the Jerusalem church, the Jewish Christians, with the non-Jewish Christians and helping them to trust each other, that when either of them has a need, the other will come uh, and help them. It's also uh, helping these people who are new to their faith in Christ see that their resources are not just their resources. They're for God to use with other people. And so right before this text I'm going to read you, Paul says to the Corinthian church, which this letter is written to, he says, now let me tell you about the Macedonian church down the road from you. He said, not only did they want to give, but they gave. Even when they were experiencing some poverty of their own, they gave what they were able to give, and even a little bit more than they were able to give. And I want you to learn from their willingness to give as I invite you to participate in this gift to the people experiencing poverty in Jerusalem. And that can really sound like some sort of weird manipulative fundraising tool, you know, like, hey, the Macedonians are giving more than they can even afford to give, and you should give too. 
But I don't think that's what Paul's doing. He's simply saying you have to look at other people and see how they're giving in order to understand the ways in which God is leading you to give. And so here's how he talks to the Corinthian church as he's inviting them to give to this fundraising campaign. Verse 8 in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. He says, I am not commanding you. I'm going to start a lot of sermons like this next year, I decided, just because you all are into commands. This is a total joke. What if I just start every sermon? I'm not commanding you. You all at Mill City Church would be like, oh, great. Like we were all going to be worried about what you commanded us to do. We don't, start, we don't start things like this anymore. Paul knew that he could command this group of people, and they would have listened to that command. But he says very clearly, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of other people. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others may be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. And at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So let me unpack this text with you for a little bit. First, Paul starts out by saying he's not commanding that the Corinthians give. And that's very important because he's making it clear this is not a rule, it's not a law, it's not something that God demands from you. It's something that God wants for you. And he, he doesn't put a particular amount out there. He doesn't say, I need you to give this much. He doesn't give a percentage of giving that he expects from them. He says very clearly, I want you to do this because you want to do it. That's where he begins. And then he says, I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it to what other people are doing. I want to see how much you actually love by what you're willing to give. And this is the, this important connection that I mentioned in the introduction, that what you do with your money tells you something about what you love. If each of you went home and just sort of looked at what you've spent money on over the last month, you could get a pretty good picture about what's most important to you based on where your money goes and where your time goes. And that's what Paul's saying here. And he compares or or invites them to consider the way that the Macedonians are giving as an example of what people who really love God give in order to be part of this uh, collection that he's, that he's putting together. So I wondered about this question for you to think about. Maybe you want to scribble it down. Who is it in your life that you would compare your own habits of generosity to? Who is it in your life that you know how they practice generosity well enough that you could even compare what you're doing to what they're doing 
in a healthy way, not in a crazy, unhealthy way, but in a way that's like, I want to be challenged by people in my life who have learned to live generously. Can you think of those people? As I started to make a list today, I realized I have been blessed with a long list of people who have opened their life up enough to me so that I know how they live generously. And they didn't do that to brag or show me uh, something that they were super proud of. They just did it because they trusted me and we had a good friendship. I, I remember one young couple years ago when I was working in a different church where they were both young professionals in their 20s and they had gotten married and uh, one was training to be a doctor and another was training in another, uh, another professional area. And they sat down together and they planned out what they wanted their lifestyle to be for the next 40 years of their life. They said, let's set a standard of living that we feel like is, is modest and comfortable. And then let's, let's just pray and decide that anything we make over that amount for the next 40 years, we're going to give away. And I had never experienced anybody being that intentional or uh, futuristic about their, their financial life to think that way. And of course, they were blessed with great education and, and good career opportunities. And so it was likely they were going to make a lot more money than they needed. And so they sat down and they said, look, any, any amount over this lifestyle we're going to give away. And even in the years that we knew them, they, um, they were giving away huge sums of money because they had limited their lifestyle, where for most of us, the tendency is that as we increase in our, the money that we have available to us, our lifestyle sort of chews it up, right? Like the more you have, the more you need is, is one of the experiences that a lot of us have. And they just wanted to, they wanted to bracket that. And so they said, no, this is our line, and anything over that is going to go away. We have an, another example of a woman in our congregation who has structured her life in a way that I think is so inspiring. She's also sort of decided on a lifestyle, and has made a modest amount of money, not a crazy amount of money, a regular amount of money, and has decided to give most of that money away that she doesn't need. She gave away so much money one year that the IRS audited her because they didn't believe anybody would give that much of their income away. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that before? There are some people in life who are really good at living generously. And you need to find some of them in your life so that you can model some of what you're doing after what they're doing. Uh, Pastor Paul, who I used to work for at Woodridge Church, he used to teach people, and he did this himself, he was an incredibly generous person, uh, to budget for generosity the same way he budgeted for Netflix or whatever else. Have a line in your budget that says, if a need arises... I'm going to use this money however God brings me to use it. Didn't, couldn't, didn't have to be a lot of money, but it created this budget line in his life that he knew there was $30 or $50 or $10 or $100 or whatever the number was, that when someone said, oh, I need this or I have an opportunity or does anybody, can anybody contribute in this way, he could do it. He didn't have to you know, find the money somewhere. It was already planned. I'm giving you some examples today. I could give you lots more examples of people who have given generously one time in an extraordinary way, and that's amazing too. But I love the stories of people who have learned to plan their life to live generously over their whole lifetime. Because that's what really sets you free forever from the ways in which money can really hold you back and, and oppress you. If you can learn to give one time, that's amazing. 
If you can learn to give over a lifetime, not only is your impact better, but your life is better. Because that's part of what God wants for you. So, who are the people in your life that you want to learn from? Can you write those names down? If you can't, maybe it's time to take some risks with some people you're close to and say, could we have an intentional conversation about money? Like a friend conversation. Like, I'll tell you how we're experiencing money. You tell us, and let's just see what comes of that conversation. I think that'd be a great experiment. Comparing your own generosity to others can help you see more clearly what's going on in your heart. And that's what Paul was after when he was telling the Corinthians about the Macedonian gifts. Okay, next verse. In verse 9, Paul goes on to say, the standard for giving, okay, the standard for giving is based on the way that God gave to all of us through Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what your standard for giving is in your head or what you think God's expectations are for giving, but let's get into that for a minute, okay? In verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake Jesus became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This is the Christian standard for generosity. It's not a percentage number. It's not an amount of money. The standard for generosity in Christian faith is what God did through Jesus Christ. Tim Keller says that the only way to grow in generosity is not to try harder at being generous, but to spend more time thinking about how generous God has been towards you and towards us. The more we understand the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us, the more our hearts will change and the more desire we're going to have to live generously. So Paul, he's not commanding the Corinthians to give. He's telling them how others are giving in light of their faith, in light of what Jesus has done for them. They can't but help themselves to join in in this opportunity that Paul's presenting to them. Paul's not talking about all the money that Jesus gave away when he says Jesus was rich and became poor. He's talking about Jesus' spiritual reality and spiritual wealth. The fact that Jesus was in heaven with the Father and the Holy Spirit and had all this authority and power and willingly gave all of that up to become a human being and become one of us. Jesus becomes poor in the sense that he willingly experiences the struggles of human life including suffering and dying in a horrific way in order to defeat evil, to overcome evil, and to offer forgiveness to people who will follow him and believe in him and accept his gift. Now, that's not a calculated gift, right? Jesus didn't say, here's 10% of what I have, let me give it to you. He didn't say, this is a wise investment because if I give my life in this way, X number of people will love me back, and that's how I'll get what I put into it back. No, no, no. Jesus gave his life for us out of love, right? This is an act of love, capital letters, L-O-V-E. It's a I would do anything for you kind of act. Jesus didn't do this because he, because he had to or because he thought he would get something great out of it. He did it because he loved us that much. It's reckless generosity. 
And God, the love of Jesus, is God's standard for giving. And that's why Paul mentions it here. If we believe that this is who God is, that Jesus came and gave up his whole life on the cross and offers that to us without expecting anything, without deserving that love at all, and if we've actually experienced it, if it isn't just an idea or something that you hear over and over again at church, but your life has actually been impacted by the reality that Jesus loves you even more than you could get, then your heart has changed, right? And your heart is different, and you care about things that you didn't care about before, and you realize that you've been given a gift that you never could deserve or repay, and so you're looking to be that kind of person in the lives of other people. That's the standard for Christian giving. And so, as we think about our own our own gifts. I love that Paul in verse 11 says, you, you're willing to give, you want to give. Uh, this is my favorite line in this passage. Now finish the work. Right? Don't just intend to be generous. Don't just intend to give. Don't just want to want to be generous. Finish it. Do it. Plan it. Make it happen. Make it a reality. Make a plan to give is my advice to you, or it will always be something that you wish you could do. All right, so let me talk about three quick things that we talk about regularly at Mill City in respect to finishing the work of being generous. Number one, Mill City has a goal. This is our primary financial goal for our church and for your life, and that is that we would have 100% giving from those people who call Mill City Church their home. All right, that might be a little different metric than you've heard in a church before. 100% giving just means that everybody who's regularly part of our church and calls this church at home gives to Mill City Church on a monthly basis in some amount that they can afford. And the reason why we don't emphasize the amount is because we realize everybody's coming from different places, and so we want you to give what you can give and what you've decided you want to give, that you're joyfully giving. But also we believe that it's mostly about you learning to give and not about funding this church's budget. It's mostly a discipleship question of how we learn to express the love that we have for Christ in our hearts to the world, not about how do we meet the budget. And what we found is when we set people free on this topic and we stop pretending like it doesn't exist and we say, try this, start doing this, here's a practice that can help set you free from the anxiety that surrounds money, people's lives improve and they find joy in getting to be part of what God is doing by giving. Just like everybody needs to pray to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, everybody needs to give to set their heart free from the ways in which money would oppress it otherwise. So number one, if you haven't started giving to Mill City Church, and this is your church home, give to Mill City Church in some amount on a regular basis. Second, set yourself a giving budget. Social science suggests that most of us don't know how much money we spend, therefore don't know how much money we give, and don't have a plan for either. That's normal. That's what most of us are doing, okay? So look around. Most of us don't have a budget, don't know how much money we we spend, and don't know how much money we give. Uh, Start there, okay? It'd be wonderful. We would be in such a better place if all of us had an idea of how much money we spend, how much money we give, and how much money we want to give. If you don't have that plan, it's going to make it very hard to live into a life of generosity. As a regular life rule, give out of what you have. If you have more, you can give more. If you have less, 
give what you can give what you can that's the freedom that paul's expressing in this text but stretch yourself to give a little bit more than you have given pastor paul used to teach give one percent more than you gave the year before as you think about 2019 could you give one percent more than you gave in 2018 that would require you to know how much money you gave in 2018 in order to figure out how much 1% more would be. That's one way to come at it. People often ask us about whether or not we teach tithing at Mill City Church. And if you're not familiar with tithing, tithing is the idea that uh, people give 10% of whatever they make to their local church. And it's, it's based in a number of verses in the Old Testament where a 10% gift is talked about by various people to the temple. Now, when it comes to the New Testament, you, it's very hard to find any reference to the idea of a 10% tithe in the New Testament. Tithing's not talked about in the same way. Paul doesn't bring it up in this text here, right? And I think that's because Jesus has demonstrated a whole new standard for giving that probably should make us more nervous than if the standard was 10%. The standard is that all of our time and all of our money has been given to us by God, right? And Jesus demonstrates his willingness to give all of it. Everything that he had, all the wealth that was available to him, he poured all of that out in order to give us the opportunity to experience forgiveness and become rich. So that doesn't mean that we give 100% of our money away to the things that we care about or to our local church, but it certainly does mean that we have to learn to live generously as a regular course of the way in which we're living our lives so that we're always ready to be part of what God is doing. Now, if tithing has helped you learn to live generously, then that's wonderful. Don't hear me saying tithing is old school and we're not doing that anymore. What I am saying is don't see your giving as a 10% box check that once you've done that, you've got that part of your Christian life nailed. Instead, see it as one way to help you see all of your resources as God's resources. In my preparation last week, uh, I came across the C.S. Lewis quote that I thought was really challenging. Uh, it's, a, it's on this same topic of whether or not we should keep going with tithing or think about generosity in another way. So, Here's what C.S. Lewis says in a book called Mere Christianity. He says, I don't believe one can settle how much one should give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if your expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to, the, up to the standard common among those with the same income, as your own, then we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that they, our charities, are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charity's expenditure excludes them. That's challenging, isn't it? Another way he puts it in a different part of the book is that people of the same standard, of the same income level, we ought to have a distinctly different lifestyle as Christians because we've cultivated generosity and there ought to be an obvious difference. And I think in the 21st century, this is one of the easiest ways for us to be evangelical uh, witnesses 
to the good news of Jesus Christ by living differently with our money in an age where there's never enough money, no matter how much there is. Let me invite the band to come up. I'm almost done. Paul concludes this section that I read to you by saying, uh, it's our job to share with the needy. We want you to share with those in need, and we expect that those, when they have more than they need, will share with you. There's a commitment to those of us who are part of the Christian church to care for each other, not only locally, but globally. And so he's challenging us to keep in mind our responsibility, that our money is not our money. It belongs to the church. It belongs to Jesus' church, globally and locally, and our funds ought to, ought to respond to that and ought to reflect that. Giving is what God wants for us because it sets us free from the worry and anxiety that money can easily bring. If we get a plan to live generously and we grow in that plan over our lives, we're not going to have the same worry and anxieties we might have otherwise. Giving is what God wants for us because it expresses this love that we've experienced from God in a very obvious way, a very external way. When you give away so much money, the IRS audits you. you someone's going to demand an explanation for your life, and you have the opportunity to say, that's how much I've been impacted by God's love in my life. Someone's going to pay attention to that, don't you think? Let me finish with this story that I just heard last Sunday from one of our families. Their little girl, we had just been talking about this the last couple work, weeks, and their little girl uh, had a friend over that I don't think she had seen in a little while, and they were playing and at the end of the visit, uh, her mom noticed that she had, had lost her favorite watch, or her favorite watch was gone. And she asked, she asked her about it, and she said, well, Mom, I gave away the watch to my friend who just came today because she didn't have a watch. And uh, upon being asked a few more questions by her mom, she said, you know, Mom, it was even better that I got to give away that watch because I loved the watch that much. I loved, that was my favorite watch, and I got to give it away to my friend who was visiting. Isn't it amazing sometimes how kids just innately get some of these things that later in your life you've developed enough fears and enough experiences that it seems unbelievably courageous to give away your favorite watch? But God teaches us through those kids, doesn't he? What a reflection of the, of the love that God has for us to say. It's a pleasure and a privilege to give away the things that even I love the most because then someone else can benefit from them. If the church in the 21st century can grow in its generosity, especially in the United States of America, the name of Jesus Christ will be made great among a lot of different people. It starts with every one of us learning to grow and commit to expressing the love that we experience from Jesus in the way that we handle our resources. And um, the generosity team here at Mill City Church would love to help you with this. If you want more information or training, please contact me or Jen Hillier, and we will help you to get connected. There's going to be a class in January on generosity. If this is an area you know you want to grow, you're going to want to sign up for that. Um, we're so grateful to be part of a generous church. This is a strength of Mill City. And we're, we're looking forward to all the ways in which God's going to invite us to keep taking risks as we think about the future. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. It's hard to put into words how much you have done for us and what that's done in our lives, but we, we want to reflect on that right now as we sing to you. Help us to remember, God, and not take for granted the sacrifices that you made 
to give everything you had in order to bring us into right relationship with you and put us in a position to be part of what you're doing in the world. Nothing matters more than that. God, take all our fears and anxieties and emotions about money and hold them in your hands, God. Help us to step past them and learn to trust you. Help us to see the opportunities to live generously in ways that bring glory to you, God, not to us. May your name be made great through your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Communion at City Church is practiced by having the communion service come forward. I invite you to come forward. If you're new, you can come forward whenever you're ready. Take a piece of gluten-free bread, which represents Jesus' body, and dip it in the grape juice, which represents Jesus' blood. And as you're receiving that, receive again Jesus' forgiveness for your sins. And also receive the love that Christ has for you and the affirmation that you are a son and a daughter of the Most High King. If you want to be prayed for, there'll be people along the walls over here who would love to say a prayer with you, short or long. Just invite them to pray for something or just say, I need to be prayed for today. Would you pray for me? They'd love to do that. And then you can work your way back to your seat. As the song is playing, feel free to come forward whenever you're ready.